Today, I'm going to be preaching a sermon about the kingdom agenda and following God's will. This couple right here is following God's will. When you ask Jacob and Rebecca, they're going to tell you what they do is because God's told them to. Jacob and Rebecca are leaving for reasons I don't understand. I've argued with God. I have fussed with God. I've told him that he was crazy. <laughs> told God that he needed to change his mind. And I'll tell you, it didn't do any good. <laughs> but Jacob and Rebecca are following God's will. There is nothing that they have said as to a reason why God has led them away from here. But they know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God is leading them away from here. And I just want to say, I appreciate you both for being part of our church family and being part of my life. I love you, Jacob. Love you, Rebecca. I know y'all will want to speak to them before you leave today. But today's sermon is very interesting, Jacob, because I am going to be talking about following God's will and making that the most highest priority of your life. Um, y'all can speak to them after the service. Absolutely. We'll pray over you before service is over. Can I borrow your anointing oil? And I'll anoint you, brother. You don't have it. <laughs> well, I got some in my office. See, I need to start bringing it, don't I? Today, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. The occasion of Jacob and Rebecca leaving can be somber and it can be sad. And I'm going to be honest with you, church. I was depressed. I was absolutely depressed and I had to emotionally deal with it when they told me. It was sad. I grieved for me. I grieved for my family. I grieved for the Garretts. I grieved for his grandma. I grieved for you as a church. I just absolutely took it all on me and grieved. But I would rather those two be in the center of God's will away from here than to be out of His will staying here. Amen. I do not want to be in the way of what God wants to do in their life or our life. And when we don't understand what we need to do, we have to rely on God in His direction. There's a lot of people today that understand the word follower in one sense and not in another. How many of you have an Instagram account? How many of you have Facebook? How about Twitter? Anybody tweet in here? I'm too much of a twit to tweet. <laughs> but all of those things today, you get followers. And you get this number of followers. And it is a big deal to have a lot of followers on your account today. But today I'm not going to be talking about your followers on Facebook or Instagram or, or, or Twitter or any other kind of followers. I'm going to be talking about you as a follower of Jesus Christ. People will applaud some of the teachings of Christ. It is great to love your neighbor. It is great to take care of the hungry and the sick and the poor and to serve one another. But then there's other things they go, no, I don't want any part with that. Today we're going to dive in and see what real disciples truly are. And you may be asking your yourself a question, and I hope you do right now. Am I truly a follower of Christ or am I just a fan? We had a Bible study group here that actually went through that here on a Wednesday night, a follower or a fan. And there is a difference. I got news for you. I'm a fan of a lot of things. I'm a fan of some of the football teams. 
but I'm not going to get on the field and play, I would get hurt. Is anybody not, this, this, this body is not one built for football. My son, maybe, but not me. But I'm a fan of football. I'm a fan of basketball. Don't understand it completely, but I'll watch it. But I'm not going to get on the court and play because I'm not designed and built for it. But am I a fan or a follower of Jesus? That's what I want you to ask yourself today. I want us to look at some earmarks of real disciples in Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 17. Last week we talked about how John the Baptist was arrested. And once he was arrested, Jesus then moved into his ministry of, of really teaching and preaching and healing. That's when he was propelled into the center of his ministries. When John the Baptist was arrested, something bad happened to a good person. And sometimes God uses that in great ways to accomplish His mission. And so we come to verse 17 today. I'm going to kind of read a verse we went over last week and then jump into a few more. Verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Can I just say that again? That was just so good, Dub. I just want to read what Jesus said again. His first message to the people was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He did not proclaim and say, come and be healed. Your healing has finally come. His first message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers. I want to go back to last week's sermon for a second. If Jesus had not left where He was and gone to Galilee because Jesus, John the Baptist was arrested, He wouldn't be walking by the Sea of Galilee at this moment. God orchestrates some events that make no sense in your life to bring about His will. While He's walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers. Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. What were they? Fishermen. Come on, help me out this morning. What were they? Fishermen. They were fishermen. They caught fish. And he said to them, Jesus said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, in the New American Standard, it has a word in verse 20 I love. It says, Immediately. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let me tell you, the earmark of a real disciple, someone who is really born again, who cries that Jesus is Lord. The first earmark is this, you follow Jesus. See, we see here that these guys were out fishing. They were just about their normal, everyday routine. They had grown up fishing. They thought about fishing. Whenever they got up in the morning, you know what they knew that they would do that day? They were going to go fishing. And then Jesus comes by. And Jesus, in essence, when He said to follow me, He said, I want you to leave everything behind. I want you to walk away. See, true followers do not fit Jesus in around everything else. They didn't say, well, Jesus, I tell you what, I'm going I'm to follow you on the weekends. I'm just going to show up on, on, on the Sabbath. 
I'm only going to follow you whenever I, I, I look at Scripture early in the morning. No, what happened is when true followers follow Jesus Christ, they don't fit Jesus into their schedule. Jesus is their schedule. He is their life. They make Him their first love and highest priority in everything they do. So let me tell you today, this is a litmus test of where you are. I hope the Holy Spirit speaks to you today because God has really dealt with my heart about this on a heavy, heavy way. See, when Jesus said, follow me, He was talking about Him as a person and His mission. It wasn't just simply, I will make you feel better and help you have better status. Because I can tell you, they didn't have a better status following Jesus Christ. In fact, people looked down on them. Jesus even told them they would be persecuted for His namesake. So they followed the person and mission of Jesus. The people that followed Jesus were the irreligious, the unimportant in society. Notice these are fishermen. These were not the high class, the wealthy the religious, it was those who were out and they, can I tell you a secret? They really stank. And they stunk bad. <laughs> they smelled like fish. They didn't take showers every day. Maybe y'all don't realize that, but they didn't have showers back then. They didn't have degree underarm deodorant or perfume for them to wear. These men smelled bad. Whoo! Now, don't tell me you're sitting beside somebody right now that reminds you of that. <laughs> but these men smelled bad. They were not the good of society, the high class. They were the unimportant. They were the irreligious that weren't always at the synagogue. But these are the ones that Jesus said, follow me. See, Jesus partnered with the outcasts so that the power of God would be magnified. The second thing about following Jesus, second thing is becoming more like Jesus. See, to have the earmark of being a true disciple of Christ, you have to follow Jesus, obviously, uh, that makes sense, but you've got to be becoming like Jesus. What does that really mean? Well, as we look over in Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher. If you think you can call yourself a Christian and not become like Christ, you are an oxymoron. Maybe you're just a moron. Forget the oxy. You cannot be a follower of Christ and not become like Jesus. If you try to do that, you're not fulfilling what Jesus himself has said. The power of Christ is to be someone who is becoming like Jesus. Verse 37 of that same chapter. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Hold on just a second. Now Jesus has gone meddling, Paul. What does he mean that if I love my mom and dad or, or, or my children or my wife? What's up with this? This doesn't sound very inviting. Can't Jesus make it a little more inviting, Miss Jill? I mean, can't can he make it a little more, make you feel better? I mean, come on. That if I love my wife or my children or my mom and dad. I actually, notice what it says. He who loves father or mother more than me. So what is Jesus saying? 
Your first love is not your family. Your first love is not your opinion. It is not even you. Your first love must be Jesus Christ. And you must be becoming like Him. He who has found his life, in verse 39, will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. To be a true follower of Jesus Christ, you must follow him and become more like him. Romans 8.29 says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. When you accept Jesus Christ, you are on a journey and the work is God's work, not your work. I love what Adrian Rogers said about that. He said a telephone pole doesn't smoke, it doesn't drink, and it doesn't tell lies. But a telephone pole is not like Jesus. See, a lot of people have this idea that if I can just get rid of sin, it's all about getting rid of sin and I'll be more like Jesus. Let me tell you something. Taking off sin might be part of it, but that's not becoming like Jesus. Elimination, he says, doesn't deal with the root. It's just like pruning a tree and it doesn't change its nature. To truly become like Jesus, you have to embrace and engulf Him. It starts with your love for Him, not what you take off and not do. Does that make sense? Because this is a new way of thinking about being a disciple. You don't have to try to measure up in what you do. You just get at Jesus' feet and allow Him to do the changing. That will make a difference. And the third thing is, not only do we follow Jesus, not only do we become like Jesus, the third one is, and this one's hard, this is a good one. Commit to the agenda of Jesus. Now the preacher's going to go meddling, ain't he? Yeah, I am. So you may want to get ready for your shoes or your toes because this can get hard. Not because it's my opinion, but it's because of God's Word and His Scripture. I need to just bring this to you today. That we have to commit to the agenda of Jesus Christ, not the agenda of Chicopee Baptist Church. Now, the agenda of Chicopee Baptist Church should line up with Jesus Christ. But Chicopee Baptist Church should never, ever, ever, never take precedent over the agenda of Jesus Christ. Same thing for you and your life and your family. There is nothing in your life. We should simply do as Jesus said. Not my will, but yours be done, Lord. You know, growing up, my mom and dad had this thing in, in their kitchen. I remember it. said, Jesus is my co-pilot. That is such a lie from the devil. Can I tell you right now? I'm just going to tell you. And if you've got that at home, can I just ask you to do something? Go home and throw it away. Jesus is not your co-pilot. He's in the driver's seat. Amen. You're Jesus' co-pilot. The song, Jesus Take the Wheel. Let me rewrite that. Jesus, you already got the wheel. That's where we need to be living. Not Jesus, take it. Jesus, you get it and you hold on to it. I ain't driving no more. Did y'all like that? That was very eloquently spoken. I ain't driving no more. <laughs> See, when we commit to the agenda of Jesus... It's not about what we want, what we think, and what even makes logical sense to us. He is in charge. He sets the agenda. He is the one who's driving. We need to treat God as God. Here's what happens. There's a lot of agendas in our life. Can I borrow somebody's glasses? Chad, can I borrow yours? 
I need to borrow somebody else's buddy. Can I borrow yours? <laughs> I need to borrow somebody else's glasses. I promise you will get them back. I will not even get them dirty. Somebody else will let me borrow your glasses. Hurry. Tim, thank you. Thank you. This is three. I want two more. Two more glasses. Man, these are great. These are good-looking glasses. Good, good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Here's another extra pair. Man, I said glasses, and I've got glasses galore. Here's what happens in our life. We live our life, and we begin to put on these different agendas. We begin to look at the political agenda. Man, this is my political agenda. That's important for me. Then after we look at our political agenda, we're going to look at our cultural agenda. What's our culture want? What does the culture call us to do? Now that was weird. That made me see better. (laughs) I was not expecting that. So whoever's glasses those are, you correct whatever ones I just put on. Then there's my own personal agenda of what I like and how I like it. And we begin to put on all these agendas, don't we? We got our family agenda. What is our family one? How does that work? (laughs) We have our Christian agendas and our church agendas. I'm going to hold these on here. Somehow. Oh, Lord. If only you could see from my eyes what things look like. And then, you know, I'm just going to put this last pair on. I don't have a title for it, but good gracious, I can't see a thing now. Where's the steps? (laughs) So here's, here's my illustration. Here's what happens. We all have our work agenda, our family agenda, our cultural agenda. We got our political agendas. We got all these agendas for our family and for our values and things of that nature. And you know what happens after a while? Somebody want to guess what I see right now? Anybody here want me to go, go drive for an illustration? I'd love to go get in my car. I'll drive to your house. I'll drive to Oakwood. Anybody want me to do that? Even if you're raising your hand, I can't see it. But <laughs> my son's raising his hand. I'm not surprised. He, he always likes to see me do crazy things. But here's the point. What we do is we keep putting on these agendas when there should be only one. These glasses on my head are prescription. They are set for my eyesight, for my pupil distance, for exactly where my eyes are. And because of these glasses, I can see Miss Ruth Ann in the back and Mr. Jimmy. I can tell Mr. Johnny Schoolcraft is sitting over there in the corner. I can see Donnie right over there. Donnie, wake up. <laughs> he wasn't asleep. But because of these prescription glasses that are tuned in, I can see very clearly. Let me tell you, The one and only prescription that should set your agenda every day of your life. It is right here. This is the prescription you should use. And stop putting on all these other things. 
all this political. We don't need the White House to get fixed. We need to get the church house fixed where God's people are focused on His agenda and not their own and we'll see revival happen in this land. Now, it did not work out how you're going to get your glasses back, so I'm going to sit them right here. (laughs) The agenda of God has got to be at the center of what we do. When we talk about the agenda, here's a quick verse for you in John chapter 18, verse 36. John 18, 36. Jesus gives us a lot of directions. And I know some of you may be going... Well, I'm not sure what God's agenda is. How does it line up with mine? Is it going to get in the way of my work? Is it going to get in the way of my family? Probably so, but can I tell you something? It's better to have it in the way of your life than to have it out of your life because God cannot bless you if you don't follow His agenda. John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this world. What's happening in Washington, I guarantee you all of us have an opinion about it and it can get us upset. But can I tell you something? When it comes down to the agenda of Christ, that does not matter as much as what He wants me to do for His kingdom. What happens in Washington, happens in Washington. What I do at my house, what I do at Walmart, when I'm driving my car matters. It must be about God's agenda, not mine. His agenda is not of this world. It looks different. It is Jesus' central message. Remember what I read in Matthew chapter 4 more than once? What did Jesus say? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's His agenda. The kingdom of heaven. God's agenda isn't about everybody being rich and everybody being healed of every disease. God's agenda is for us to dwell intimately with Him in our everyday life. Regardless of the money we have, the bills we have, Regardless of what our health is like, God's agenda is for us to dwell intimately with Him, to let Him be in charge. As a matter of fact, here is a good definition of God's agenda. Are you ready to write this down? Here it is. The visible demonstration. Oh, now this is going to be just not good. Here we go. The visible demonstration means that people can see it, you see it, your family sees it, your co-workers see it. People, when you're at Walmart, can see it. It's a visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule. Want to know what comprehensive means? Complete, total. There is nothing lacking. The visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God over every area of my life. That's God's agenda. God's agenda isn't to help me feel better and make me happy. His agenda is to make me holy so I can be happy. God's agenda is not of this world. The culture will confuse you. The TV will confuse you. There are even TV preachers that will confuse you about God's agenda. 
God's agenda is about making His kingdom bigger and about us becoming like Christ and living so that He's in control every moment of our life. We do not leave Jesus at the door when we walk out of this building. We take Him with us and we act as if we follow Him. It is the visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of Jesus Christ in every area of my life. And what I say and what I type, what I post, how I drive. Oh, Mr. Jerry, I've done gone and done it again, didn't I? How I shop, how I spend my money, how I talk to my wife and my kids. It should be a visible demonstration that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not an add-on. Jesus is not just something you tack on to your day. If He is, He's in the wrong place. When Jesus called these men and said, follow me, they immediately left everything behind and made Him first. Make Jesus first and He can change your life. Many ask, what should I do with my life? What is the will of God? Many questions are answered with this one simple idea. What is my mission? Can I tell you, you have been created by God to have a relationship with God. He has selected you to love. We are empowered by God to fulfill His agenda. But we have a choice. What will we do? Erwin McManus put it this way, The question is not, God, what is your will for my life? Instead, here it is. He says, God, what is your will and how can I give my life to it? God, what is your will and how can I give my life to it? We need to surrender to the Lord. Not just as a Savior so that we can get to heaven or feel better, but that He is in control and in charge of every area of our life, visibly demonstrated in how we speak, how we walk, how we live. A real disciple of Christ is recognizable. There are no hidden secret agents of Jesus. We should be known and it should be clear, in this country at least. Because here in this country, God has blessed us with the freedom to worship and express our religious views, our, our ideas. And let me tell you, I believe what is in this word as truth. Jesus is the way, the only way, the truth and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through Him. He said that, and I believe that. Amen. If I believe that, I need to live it and I need to tell it. I need to let people know. That Jesus is in control. He's driving the ship. He's driving the boat. What must I do? Well, I want you to answer these two questions. There's two questions that I want you to answer today. Am I becoming more like Jesus? I mean, you know better than anybody. Or maybe you can nudge your wife or husband and, and, and ask them, Am I becoming more like Jesus? Jesus has said He will carry on to perfection the work He began in you in Philippians chapter 1. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you more like Jesus today than you were a year ago? If not, let me encourage you to do something about that. Stop buying into the lie of the devil that says, well, I'm okay. 
I'm all right. Make a change. I'm not asking you to do a lot except for this. Surrender to Jesus. Say, what is your will and how can I line up with it? Second question is this. Whose agenda am I advancing? Whose agenda am I advancing? Am I advancing my agenda? Am I, am I advancing a political agenda? A cultural agenda? A racial agenda? Am I advancing some agenda besides Jesus Christ? If you are, can I give you some real friendly advice? Stop. Advance the agenda of Jesus. You can have conversations. I'm not saying you can't have political conversations or cultural or racial. I'm not saying you, you, you don't have those conversations. Those are fine. But which agenda are you advancing and putting forth as something that you're, you are the champion of? Let me tell you. If we had more born-again Christians who would advance the agenda of Jesus Christ, our country and our culture would not be divided like it is. Instead, we have an enemy called the devil and Satan that wants to advance every agenda possible so everybody can be divided and not hear truth anymore. That's happening. Of course, the Bible said that would take place. But whose agenda am I advancing? Now listen, you have three choices. You can either add Jesus on to your day and say, I've got my work agenda, I've got my retirement agenda, I've got my home agenda, I've got my recreation agenda, and I'm going to throw Jesus into all that. You can add Him on, or you can just put yours against His and say, you know what, Jesus, you sit over there, I've got my agenda, I'm advancing and I'm moving forward. Or you can say, Jesus, let me follow your agenda. Let that be the main thing in my life. Now I'm going to come alongside and I've got these other things that I have to do. I have to build buildings. <laughs> I have to police the streets. I have to take care of the things in my office. But in the midst of all that, the agenda I'm going to advance to is yours. So you show me your will, you show me your agenda, that's the main thing I do while I get to do all these other things. Jacob and Rebecca felt a move from God to do something that makes no logical sense. And from my standpoint, I love you, but I think it's stupid. <laughs> but that's me. That's my agenda. But when someone says to me, God has led me to do this, I don't understand why. Then we have to just say, okay, I don't either. But I trust my God that He's going to do something we have not even imagined yet. <coughs> Chicopee Baptist Church is not built around Jacob and Rebecca. The kingdom of God is not built around Jacob and Rebekah. The blessings of God has been abundant through them, but is not based on them. It is based on God's agenda to that the gates of hell will not prevail against His mission, that is, to build the church. So today we can hold our heads high and trust that God's got something great in store. 
Whose agenda are you advancing? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Here's your seven-day challenge. Every morning, maybe you drink coffee, maybe you have breakfast, maybe you don't. But sometime in the morning, I want you to ask God to remind you today that every area of your life should advance His comprehensive rule of your life. In other words, when you pray in the mornings, I want you to say, God, it's not my will, it's yours. You show me what it is that you need, that's what I'll get on board with. And can I tell you, the next seven days you're going to get some surprises. Things are going to come up, and things are going to happen that you didn't expect. Because God's going to take you at your word that you mean it. He's going to bring some things. It's going to be His will and His plan. And at first it may aggravate you and go, well, <clears throat> that's going to get in the way of me getting something done. Well, what we need to be getting done is God's agenda anyway, first and foremost. So let me challenge you this week. Pray for His will to be revealed and submit to that. It is His agenda to build His kingdom, not ours, as the first and foremost thing in life. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your grace, Your mercy. I thank You for Your Word. Lord, your agenda is the agenda that I want to live my life by. It's not the agenda of people's acceptance of me. It is the agenda of you accepting me. Lord, the agenda of Christ was to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Lord... There may be somebody in this room that's older than they actually believe. Meaning that their time on this earth is shorter than others. Father, if they do not know you, if they're not a real disciple of yours, may your Holy Spirit convict them right now. May they know without a doubt you are moving in their heart to make a commitment and to make a decision that it's your agenda and you're to be number one in their life. Father, right now, in the midst of this room, may your Holy Spirit work. Lord, if it's someone who has come to church for years, maybe they've even been uh, on some of the boards or some of the committees, or Lord, maybe they've, they've grown up in another church all their life, and Father, they, they thought they had it figured out that it's about doing and doing and doing, but God, it's a, just simply about your agenda surrendering to you being in control. Lord, right now, may they ask you to forgive them and take over their life. Lord, for those who know you, who have forgotten, who have walked away from that agenda that you have set forth as our first love, and that is Jesus, may you forgive us. May we recommit our life to you. May we dedicate our life to set aside the things that we're trying to do and set it forth that, God, you're in control, not me, and trust you for the outcome. When Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, he gave them a person to follow and a mission to accomplish. God, may we do the same this day in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.